Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and this is season six. There's something about Mary, Queen of Scots. So I want to give a special sort of like message slash introduction to anyone who's newly joining the podcast, because this is coming out at the beginning of March. March is Women's History Month. So, you know, if you came across the name of this podcast on some list somewhere being like, here's podcast about women's history. Just so you know what to expect, like just so like expectations are managed. This is a really casual podcast. I don't describe it as like a serious history podcast. It's a feminist women's history comedy podcast. I'm going to be making jokes. Also, there's just me. Sometimes I have guests, but there's not usually two hosts. It's usually just me chatting. Uh, My name is Ann Foster. I think I said that. I say like a normal amount of times because I have notes in front of me, but I'm also talking off the cuff. I'm also comparing history to pop culture. I have some vocal fry. I might say, um, every now and then I'm just giving, getting that all. I swear constantly, just getting that all out there so that everybody, your expectations are managed. You know, every now and then somebody leaves a review saying things like I say like too much or that. I don't know. There was one review that kind of made me made me lull a little bit. It was saying that I'm very biased because the review is something like, you know, the host seems to have an agenda to bash men. And yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Um, part of the reason why I do this podcast is because I have a history degree. I like grew up in Canada and the history that I was taught in school and that I encountered, you know, just for fun, like on like the history channel or whatever is so much of it has been about like white men and how they were so great and so influential, but that's not all that history is. I would say that's not actually true. And that's why on my Patreon, I do a whole series talking about men who suck called. So this asshole anyway, beside the point. So I do have an agenda on the show. I don't think I've ever pretended I don't have an agenda on the show. And my agenda is to tell you the scandalous stories of women from history who are often not discussed. Uh, my agenda is to highlight women. And also in recent seasons, we've talked about some other gender non-confirming folks, but especially in this season, for instance. So we're doing Mary Queen of Scots. There's something about Mary Queen of Scots. That's this whole, the next numerous months, that's going to be our topic. And I'm going to be approaching this story through the lives of Mary herself eventually, but also other women whose lives impacted the story. So like her, some of her ancestors, like some other women who lived around the same time, like it's all a woman-based interpretation. And so Mary Queen of Scots, I guess, maybe more so than some other women I've talked about or who you might have studied, you know, a lot of stuff comes down to like Mary and Queen Elizabeth, like she's often talked about compared to 
Elizabeth, um, but also the stories about her are often like, here's her terrible husband and what did Henry VIII have to do with it? But we're really focusing on just like the women to tell the story of this one person. And this is similar to, I think it was season three of the same podcast, which was all about Lady Jane Grey. It was called How to Lose a Queen in Nine Days. And I'm doing a similar approach where the whole season is kind of like all building up to one story. And it's, again, like my agenda is to tell the story of Mary Queen of Scots in a feminist way while bashing men. So just so you know, that's what I'm doing. And wait, I have some notes. There's some other things I want to make sure that I mention because this is, you know, a new season. And again, there might be some new people listening. Yeah. So I am biased. Covered that. Oh, yeah, actually. So after I got that comment from that guy, assuming a guy, maybe I'm wrong, who said, who gave me one star and said that this podcast is very biased and I have an agenda to bash men, which is true. But to them, that equals one star. I would say that equals five stars. Anyway, I made, there's some new merch on in the merch shop, vulgarhistory.store. I made like a cropped hoodie. It's very popular with you. T-shirts, stickers that say very biased because we all are. And like, just to reiterate, all of history is biased. There's no such thing as unbiased history. Like every source I look at is biased. If you go back to like who was writing the history, those people had biases. You know, they were being paid by the king to write things that had to be a certain way. Or they have, whatever, like everyone is biased by the cultural context in which they live. And now we're going to get into it. So there's something about Mary, Queen of Scots, season six of vulgar history. And, you know, when I was thinking about where, where are we going to start the story? I knew I couldn't just start with Mary because she herself is born into a real complicated situation. Not unlike what happened with Lady Jane Grey, honestly, actually very similar to what happened to Lady Jane Grey. So uh, similarly, I started the Lady Jane Grey season with her grandmother, Mary Tudor. And we're going to start this season with Mary Queen of Scots, one of her grandmothers, Margaret Tudor. And so the references I have for this podcast are, as far as I know, only two major biographies of Margaret Tudor that are out there at the moment. Um, Margaret Tudor, Queen of Scots, The Life of Henry VIII's Sister by Sarah Beth Watkins. And Sisters to the King, The Tumultuous Lives of Henry VIII's Sisters, Margaret of Scotland and Mary of France by Maria Perry. I always try to sort of situate these stories in a place and time based on previous podcasts that we've done to say, just so you can know what's, who who else that we've talked about is going to come up here, you know, who else is there to see you can really situate, especially when we're looking at some of these more, um, I don't know, a year where other people, a lot of things happening in the world. And this one, I think, I suspect um, for many of you, like the Tudors of England are really well discussed situation. So if I say that she is Henry VIII's older sister, for a lot of you, you're going to be like, "Mm, got it, got the place and time, got it. In terms of, because I do want to keep in mind what's happening internationally at the same time, Tudor England did not, was not its own bubble separate from all the rest of the world. So Margaret Tudor, today's heroine, was born in 1489. That's about eight years before her younger sister, Mary Tudor, who we talked about, 11 years before the birth of Melanzine in Mexico, 13 years before the birth of Harem Sultan in probably Kiev. And another one of her contemporaries was Sayida El Hora, who was born in 1485 in Al-Andalus. And Juana of Castile was born about 10 years before in Spain. So that's, that's where we are in the world. And so Margaret was born November 28th, 1489. 
And she was the first surviving child of Henry VII and Elizabeth of York. So I'm not going to get into the whole War of the Roses situation with you in this podcast today because that's its own, you know, 16-part series. But basically, Henry VII was the first Tudor king of England. He was the one who was left standing after the Wars of the Roses happened. Margaret's mother was Elizabeth of York, who is the daughter of Elizabeth Woodville, who we've talked about on this podcast. If you remember, Elizabeth Woodville was the one who was, people thought she was maybe a witch descended from this long line of like Luxembourgese witches. Her mother was Jacetta of Luxembourg. Anyway, she's the one who married Hot Edward, who if you listen to this podcast, you know who that is. Margaret Tudor was named for her other, her other grandmother, which was Margaret Beaufort, which is a whole other situation I'm sure we'll talk about on a later podcast and she becomes important later. But just, just to be known, this is her lineage. Like she's coming from like bad ass women and yeah, and she's a first surviving child of these two. So her, one of her grandmothers, Margaret Beaufort, who became this like really pious religious type person. Um, she was hoping that her namesake would become kind of like that. Our heroine, Marga, is a true vulgar history girly. She was more interested in fashion and dancing than she was in prayer. But being raised, and I mean, she was like, saw a lot of her grandmother. So like Margaret Beaufort was her role model. So she saw like, okay, women can wield power in a royal court, even if they're not like literally who's in charge, like a woman can be really powerful which Margaret Beaufort was. So Margaret Tudor herself wasn't big on like school work or like religious life, but she was really canny and she picked up a lot of like political scheming type skills, which are arguably just as important, maybe more important. Um, and this would again be important to her later in life, but not yet because she's just a little girl. So it's 15th century England. She is a princess, which means that her main role in life have known this from like day one was to eventually be married off to somebody for like alliance reasons and especially because i mentioned her dad was the first tudor king the first tudor monarch which is kind of like when you're starting a new dynasty and after the chaos that had preceded him being king it's kind of like everyone is ready to go on the attack and have a civil war at a moment's notice it's like they're not really they're not like solidified as a new dynasty. So Henry VII was really working hard to be like, this is more in charge. Like, please don't try to usurp me. And part of that was just like trying to get alliances. And the way you get alliances is by marrying your children off to them. So this is why Margaret, when she's five years old, was being discussed as the subject of potentially an arranged marriage to the King of Scotland, whose name was James, because the King of Scotland is always named James. He was at this point 21, but it's not like, oh my God, five-year-old child bride. That's not the vibe. It's just like, you know, maybe they would make the arrangement, but she wouldn't actually go there until she was older. And here's what's interesting about England and Scotland. Two countries that have always been at war and then at peace and then at war and then at peace. Like they share a land border. So that's, of course, that's what was happening. The kings of each country, because it was always kings at this point, were just always trying to take over the other person's country to try and be like, let's have this even bigger land for ourselves. And the king of the first country was just like, hell no. So just a lot of 
England and Scotland at war kind of constantly. So it's like, well, then why would anyone want her to, why would the Scottish people want an English princess? Why would the English king want to marry to the Scottish king? So when she was five, this whole thing was happening. There's so many like little side notes where it's just like, you can go down the rabbit hole and learn more about this. I don't have time for that because I already have, I don't even know, 25 episodes to do on this topic. So the Perkin Warbeck scenario was going on. Do you know what that is? So this man named Perkin Warbeck, which is, first of all, a great name, rolled into town around the time the America was five. And he was like, guess who I am? And everyone's like, well, your name is Perkin Warbeck. It's a memorable name. And he's like, yeah, that's what I call myself now. But my real name is, I'm one of the princes in the tower. And so the princess in the tower is this famous true crime story from oldie times where Margaret, I'll try and focus this on her, her uncles. So like her mother is Elizabeth of York. Elizabeth of York's two brothers should have become king. But at that time, Richard III was the king. He's the one who is just like bad news. And then his bills are found in a car park. Potentially him, potentially Margaret Beaufort. Somebody like trapped these two little boys in the tower and they were never seen again. And then I think recently bones were found, like they were clearly killed. And that was part of the chaos of the Wars of the Roses, which again, we're not getting into. But it was sort of like a missing persons case. And then this guy shows up in town and he's like, hey, my name is Perkin Warbeck, aka I'm one of the princes in the tower. And everyone was kind of like, no, you're not. Obviously you're not. <laughs> um, but he was a useful sort of political pawn. He, I think, had teamed up. God, this is so... This is another thing to know if this is your first episode of this podcast you're ever listening to. Like, I don't fuck with military history because every book written about history before this podcast talks about it. So if you want to learn about that, there's lots of options. I don't care. So I'm not going to talk about it. But anyway, Perkin Warbeck was just kind of like fucking his up. He was like kind of trying to take over as king of England. And he, I think like James in Scotland was kind of like, "Mm, this is a good opportunity for me, James, to take over England. So Margaret's parents were kind of hoping like, well, if we suggest that James could marry the oldest daughter of the English king, maybe James slash Perkin will like cool off with like invading England quite as much. And I mean, nice try. Did not work out. So in fact, Perkin Warbeck, the whole scenario kind of like increased the hostility between England and Scotland to the point that marriage between Margaret and James became impossible because they were just like even more at war. And so um, the adults just kind of waited to see like, okay, let's find a different husband for Margaret or like, let's see if James is going to marry anyone else. Because that's the other thing. James was like not married, although he was fucking, he had so many illegitimate children. There's going to be thousand people in the story and they all have the last name Stuart. And those are all either his illegitimate children, his illegitimate children's children, his father's illegitimate children. Like James's like dynasty name was Stuart. And anyway, he fucked a lot of people. It's going to get real confusing in part two of this episode because everyone has the last name Stuart. Anyway, so while the adults were doing that stuff, Margaret was just like being a little girl's girl. She had a lot of interest in dresses, music, dancing, um, arguing with her younger brother, Henry, who would later become Henry VIII, who you can imagine was probably an asshole as a child. And she had an older brother. Oh, I'm sorry. I said she was the first surviving child, asterisk, first surviving daughter. 
So she had a brother called Arthur. Wait, let me just see if that's right. I mean, not that the birth order matters that much, but I just want to be like, did I say an incorrect thing? Um, yeah, Arthur was the oldest. So Margaret was the second surviving child, oldest surviving daughter. Asterix, correction to what I said earlier. So um, anyway, so Arthur was off being raised separately, being taught like how to be the new king. Henry was there hanging with Margaret. They were like similar ages and they were living in this really patriarchal, misogynistic culture. So of course he was offered more educational opportunities than Margaret or their other younger sister who is Mary, who we talked about in the whole other podcast. Mary is the one who was the grandmother of Lady Jane Grey. Anyway, but as I said, also, like, if there was further educational opportunities, would Margaret have wanted them? I don't know. She was more just about, like, vibes. Yeah, that was just not what she was into. And so, when she was 11 years old, a marriage treaty, and again, so, like, England and Scotland are just kind of like, now we're at war, now we're friends again, now we're at war. And so when she was 11, they were kind of, like, in a detente era. And the James marriage was back on the table. He still hadn't married anyone else. He was 30 years old by this point. Margaret was 11, which again, this is not a child bride situation. I just want to emphasize like this is just a treaty being signed. So this marriage agreement was part of a larger document called the Treaty of Perpetual Peace between England and Scotland, which like, please know that's perpetual peace does not happen. But they signed it with the best of intentions So this marriage between the Tudor princess and the Stuart king was meant to like solidify this new alliance between their countries. I mean, this is not a spoiler to say that's not what happens. So the thing is, she was 11 and her mother is, her grandmother is Margaret Beaufort. So Margaret Beaufort, who positive, I'm going to do a whole bunch of episodes about some other time. One notable thing about Margaret Beaufort was that she was married off at age 12 and then um, got pregnant right away and then nearly died. Like she had the the really horrific childbirth experience at age 13. And I want to mention that because it was weird even at the time. So there's a lot of, there's sort of a common misunderstanding that I come across sometimes about in times like this, where it's just like this five-year-old girl is going to get married or like this 10-year-old is going to get married. And they're all like, as though everyone's just waiting for these girls to like, menstruate so that they can start just like using them to like have children with like in Game of Thrones with Sansa or something. And so there is this sort of misunderstanding that young teenage girls were married off and were expected to start having children right away. But even in like the 1400s in England, that was not expected because even then they knew that even if a young girl's body is capable of menstruating, like physically, um, she's like people of that age are not designed to give birth. They are too young. And this is, I bring this up because, you know, stuff that happens in countries like America about forced childbirth for like young girls who were whatever, who went up pregnant at age 12 or 13. Even in the 1400s, this was not expected. It's like a marriage might happen, but you like it was not expected to be like actually consummated until the girl was older and like more physically capable of not dying in childbirth. Like when Margaret Beaufort was married, 
at age 12, the guy who she was married to, like, again, not to get into all the details, the guy she was married to just like really wanted an heir right away, which is like, sucks. But also, he died really early. Like, she gave birth, almost died when she was 13, and her husband was already dead, I think. So, but everyone then was just like, this is fucked up. Like, oh my God, this child is pregnant. What is wrong with you? Like, this is awful. Like, even then they were like, no moss. And Margaret Beaufort herself, like this really fucked her up physically, like it was a real trauma to her. And so she was like, okay, my granddaughter, Margaret Tudor, like, yes, this is fine. Like, let's do this marriage treaty to Scotland. But like, she's 11 and we are not going to send her to Scotland to be his wife until she's older and better equipped physically to deal with pregnancy by like her body maturing. And Margaret Beaufort really stood up for her. And so even though this marriage happened when she was 11, like Margaret was like, Scotland was like, look, it's fine. She's obviously 11. Like he's not going to like try to have a baby with her yet. And Margaret Beaufort was just like, I don't trust men. And like, of course she said that. She's like, if, <laughs> if my granddaughter is in Scotland, like I don't trust this 30-year-old king is not going to try something. So what was agreed upon was that Margaret and James were officially married in absentia. So like with stand-ins at each palace. So they were legally married, but they still hadn't met each other and they wouldn't meet each other for a few more years. And what this meant practically was that Margaret, 11 years old, was still living at home in the palace with her family, but she was now the Queen of Scotland. So this meant that she got to sit in a place of honor at meals. She got to have a lot more dresses made, exciting for her more jewels. She got a whole new set of rooms to live in, which she got to redecorate. Like, you know, the joy of being 11 and getting to decorate your room. Good for her. And her younger brother, Henry, later Henry VIII, um, lost his shit because suddenly she was a queen and he was just like some guy. Like he'd been the most specialist Tudor kid for years. Like Arthur was obviously the heir, but Henry was really important as the second son. And now he had to bow, like literally he had to bow to his own sister. And I mean, you know, she loved it because he was a little shit. And she had all the perks of being a queen without a husband or actual responsibilities or having to go to Scotland. Like she got to just live out being queen, but in her family for three years. So she's only sent to Scotland when she was 14 years old. Still, Asterix, very young. I want to mention also like the whole thing about like young girls and when were they expected to start having children? Like she didn't start having children for a few years. Like people didn't tend to start having their period until they were in their like later teens anyway, which is part of why you don't really take a 12 year old as your bride and expect to have children right away. Like the whole Margaret Beaufort thing was just like exceptionally weird in a lot of ways. Anyway, so Margaret is just like, great. This is like her first effective, well, it's not a solo trip. She's being followed by like an entire household full of staff and ladies in waiting and stuff, but she, it was like her first not with her family. She really wanted to make a statement. So her father came with her uh, for safety, like to protect her because he like had been through the wars and knew how to use a sword and stuff, but also to make sure that when she showed up, James wasn't like, I changed my mind. Like, so like the King of England came with her. And now we're just going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. 
So the thing is, I have allergies. My nose gets stuffy. I get sort of sinus congestion, and it just really can sometimes get in the way of doing things I really want to be doing, like recording this podcast, for instance. But you might have noticed that when you're listening to this podcast, you never hear me sounding like a duck or uh, with a runny nose. I'm never wiping my nose or stuff on the microphone. And that's because luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. So I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies, and the thing is, when I'm using it, you wouldn't even know that I have allergies. My voice sounds so crystal clear when I'm recording and when you're listening to me right now. But also when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing other life-related things, like just going about my day-to-day life, like sitting on the bus or going to work or whatever, going to the movie theaters. I don't have to worry about like, do I have tissues with me? Do I have a handkerchief? Is this noise bothering everybody? Am I being gross? Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So she headed out in an extravagantly jeweled carriage and bought along numerous trunks containing all of her new fur-lined outfits. Like she got a whole bunch of newly commissioned fur outfits because she's going to Scotland, a place that was colder than England. The whole procession moved incredibly slowly because there was so much um, luggage. And Margaret made the whole procession wait longer because sometimes she would get out and change outfits, like a little outfit reveal, to make sure that she was always the best dressed person wherever they went. So if she got somewhere and like suspected or saw that someone there was wearing a better dress than her, she had to like stop. All the carriages get out, change to a better dress. And like this Again, I have nothing but respect for this commitment to serving constant looks. So, but basically this meant that they were, uh, they were not arriving in Scotland on time. Like James was just like, where is this child? Like slash my wife. So he eventually headed down to meet them like halfway. So he met her during one of like the first time they met each other. These like people have been married for three years. During one of her stops in England, where he came in and apparently, quote, chastely kissed her goodnight, which is hella creepy. Not just because he's like 30 and she's 14, or he's 34 or whatever, she's 14 and they're married, but just like, ugh. And she, when she first met him, her thoughts were largely like, oh my God, he's the, that is an ugly beard. He has like such a gross beard. What a gross beard. And in fact, he 
did have a truly hideous, gross, long beard. And so then he kind of like joined the procession, maybe trying to like encourage them to (laughs) speed up a little more, maybe. I'm not sure what the vibes were exactly, but now it's this procession that just gets like bigger and bigger. And now James is part of it. But that meant that he was on the scene when a fire broke out in a stable they were using to like for their horses. Two of Margaret's beloved horses were killed. Margaret, Tudor, horse girl. She was upset, obviously. He went to console her and he tried to cheer her up by giving her gifts. So like he either noticed or just like had a good instinct that like the way to cheer up this person was with jewelry. And that's true. Anyway, the whole like ongoing parade finally ended when Margaret arrived in Scotland. So she and James had a new marriage ceremony. This time, both of them were at it on August 8th, 1503. And as a wedding gift, he gave her a castle and gowns and jewels. And she gave him a giant pair of scissors. And he was like, wait, what? And then she had one of her ladies in waiting cut off his beard, which is an incredible power move. Like she was maybe you know, 16 years younger than her husband, who was the king of Scotland, but she wasn't going to let him take control of the relationship or make his own facial hair decisions anymore. So these two didn't have a child for four years. So this could be just sort of like Margaret not being physically ready to start trying. This could be like, maybe she hadn't started menstruating yet. Anyway, so after four years, so she's what, 18 So this first child died in infancy, and then over the next few years, Margaret lost two more children shortly after giving birth, which just seems like happened to so many people in this era, I'm sure. Well, it still happens to lots of people, but when you're the queen and it's really important for you to like have an heir, there's so much extra pressure on you to like both conceive and then to have a child and for the child to be a son and the son to not die. Like this isn't happening simultaneous with Henry VIII and him trying to have sons, but it's like that same era, basically. Anyway. Their fourth child, which was a boy named James. I think the first son was also named James, but then he died and maybe they just stopped calling the sons James because they're like, let's wait until one of them survives and he'll be James. Anyway, so this was like great news to the Scottish people that there's an heir to the throne and it's a boy and he's called James. So they're like, everything will stay the same. But things are about to get even more challenging for our girl Margie because back in England, her older brother Arthur had died of, I think, what was it, the sweating sickness. And then her mother had died um, after in childbirth with a daughter who also died. And then her father died. So like all in a row. So suddenly she had no living parents. Her brother was dead. And her younger brother, who had always kind of been her rival, was now age 17, the new English king, Henry VIII. And the thing is that Henry hated Scotland and wanted to take over Scotland. So this kicks off what I call the brother versus sister era. So, you know, battles were going to happen. Like we're living through another like England and Scotland at war, which is like, it's like, it feels almost like two years on, two years off. Like they're at war, they're not at war, they're at war, they're not at war. So even though Henry's sister, Margaret, had married the King of Scotland, Henry VIII was still just like, fuck you, Scotland. And so James, Margaret's husband, set out with the army to go fight against the English in battle because this is still a time where like the king did that. He didn't just like send other people to do that. And in fact, James died 
in battle. So if we're keeping track, Margaret was now age 24, um, a widow, an orphan, single mother, and still Queen of Scotland, I guess, Dowager Queen of Scotland. So before James had left to go fight, like because there's always a chance that he was going to die, which he did, um, he had created paperwork saying that Margaret would serve as the regent for James, for baby James, their son. Um, I think they had had another son by now who is called Alexander as well. But anyway, James was the heir. And dead James, her husband, had wanted Margaret to be the regent for baby James. But although that was what he'd wanted and he put it in writing, this is where I'm going to introduce you to some ongoing characters who are going to appear in, I want to say, every episode for the rest of this season, who are the asshole Scottish lords. They're just like a group of guys who just get in the way of anyone wanting to do anything good or interesting or innovative or helpful or useful. The vibes of them is similar to if you've listened to this podcast before. Last season, the Ronnie Ditta episode, there was the Damaras. Like these are just, I don't know, I'm sure you've had other episodes too. Just these guys, they just get stuck up in not just bureaucracy, but just like being the worst. The asshole Scottish lords are kind of the villains of this entire season. Like they're still there. I mean, I'm sure, you know, some of them have died. There's new ones like throughout the story, which takes place over numerous decades, but just like as a, as a concept, the asshole Scottish lords. Anyway, they were not a fan of the plan for Margaret to be the regent because they didn't think women should have any power or authority because they were assholes. And they didn't want Margaret specifically to have any power or authority because she was the sister of the English king who was actively at war against them right now. But James, who again is dead now, had reasons for choosing her as the regent. And one of those main reasons was he knew that she was like really suited for this role. Like she was really smart. Um, she had learned a lot from her grandmother about like how to be schemy, how to like be political, how to be in charge of a country. Like she had skills that he respected. Like, you know, she hadn't paid attention to a lot of the schooling that happened when she was a girl, like slash she was not able to attend a lot of the schooling that happened that her brother learned, but she had been paying close attention on how to run a kingdom. Like she'd been Scottish queen for three years in England, like when she was a girl. So she had picked up some useful skills and strategies just from like watching her dad to see how he did it. But here as again, this is like, I'm starting the season with this story because it kind of like sets the scene for everything that's going to happen with Mary Queen of Scots, but it also is just kind of like the same shit keeps happening. And so much of it has to do with the asshole Scottish lords always getting in the way. Anyway, so the Scottish lords hated her, but they also hated each other. So there was constant infighting among them. So she like really had her work cut out for her to try and make things work here. But anyway, she was like good with being charming and charismatic, but also smart and clever. By 1514, she personally, had helped in creating a new peace treaty between England and Scotland. But in the course of just kind of like her hanging out and seeing like, who are the guys? Like, who are these asshole lords? You know, who could I maybe get on my side to be my ally? She had met a guy whose name was Archibald Douglas, the Earl of Angus. He, I mean, was awful. So 
how awful was he? It's not just me saying this based on what I know he's going to do, but his own uncle, his uncle is a famous poet, described Archibald Douglas as a young witless fool. Like he was pretty useless and awful. And I don't know if Margaret had like literally fallen under her spell in like a big dick energy sort of way, or if she was just like, I need to find someone to be my ally. And for some reason, like he had, you know, the the family had good connections and stuff. And so she picked him, but for whatever reason, and here's the other thing too. So part of the paperwork that her husband, dead James had left had said, I want Margaret to be the regent for baby James. But if she ever marries anyone else, then she won't be the regent anymore. So knowing that, like that, and I wonder why James did that. I don't know if it's, he probably just knew, like if she married somebody, then that would kind of set off a cascading effect among all the asshole lords to, that would kind of cause chaos, which it did. Anyway, even though she knew getting married would mean the end of getting to be the regent for her son, she was just like really into this guy, Archibald. And they had a super secret sexy marriage, August 6th, 1514. And so while she might have like, you know, romantically wanted to marry him or like emotionally, psychologically been like, this is going to be good. I have to assume that was most of her reasoning because it was extremely disastrous for her politically. All of the other asshole lords, like all of the noble houses of Scotland were mad at her because this showed that she favored the Douglas family. And so that made all the families that weren't the Douglas family kind of team up against her. And so there's lots of pressure from the asshole lords for her to name somebody else as the regent. And so eventually she did. And the person who she chose was a guy named John Stewart, the Duke of Albany, who was his last name is Stuart. So, you know, he's like somehow the illegitimate son of some previous Scottish king. He was living in France at the time and he's going to become like an important character later. And we're going to call him Albany, I think, just because so many people are called John Stewart. Anyway, so he, she chose him to be the new regent. But just one month after her super secret sexy wedding to Archibald, the Aswell Scottish Lords came out with a new law saying that not only was she no longer the regent, but she couldn't even supervise baby King James or her other son, baby Prince Alexander. Like basically they're saying this, like you can't even see them anymore. And Margaret was like, really? Fuck you. And so she took both her sons and took off with her babies and Archibald to hang out at a place called Stirling Castle. So at this point, she was on good terms again with her brother, Henry VIII. And so this is like, much like Scotland and England were kind of like, now we're friends, now we're not, back and forth and back and forth. Margaret and Henry very much had a back and forth and back and forth relationship. And a lot of her letters still exist. So like, we know that they were kind of on and off as allies. Anyway, Henry VIII encouraged her to bring the babies with her and to come and live in England with him, which, you know, made the Scottish lords just like freak out because, you know, they didn't like England, like what a Scottish king England, what's that going to mean? Anyway, after weighing her options, like should she go to England or not, Margaret decided to stay in Scotland because she suspected if she brought baby King James to England, the asshole lords would do something asshole-ish, like say, oh, he's not king anymore. And then like name some other person as king or something. 
So she was stuck in Scotland, but you know, at least she had the love of a good man. JK, no, because Archibald Douglas was the worst. And we're going to dive into more about how and why he was the worst in next week's episode, because this is a two-part episode. And I do want to also clarify or just explain something to you about, like, just to be clear, to be continued. We'll talk about the rest of the story next week. But I do also want to say that the way that this season is going to work, I think what's going to work best, just for various reasons, is we're going to have um, when we're talking about each person, it'll be like a one or two or three or four part episode about each person's life. So we can really dive into who they are and what their deal is and really talk about it and think about it. And then kind of in between each biography series, then there's going to be a super special episode where I'm going to be talking to a book author or a friend of mine who has an expertise in something. And this just kind of gives me the wiggle room to like really settle into my research and to really make sure that the the episode episodes have as much information to them as they can. And I do also want to explain, so I've just been doing this on the series and I've never really explained why I call some episodes super specials. So it's inspired by myself as a child of the 90s. The Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High and those sorts of book series imprinted on me. And so the way that those book series would work, like for instance, Sweet Valley High, you know, like the first book, it's like the beginning of junior year or whatever. And then the books kind of go sequentially through that school year. Asterix, they have like three spring breaks. I don't know. But every now and then throughout the series, they had books called Super Specials. And the Super Specials were like outside of the regular chronology of the regular book series. So, you know, like those books would be like books one through 25. And then there's a Super Special where like maybe crazy stuff happens. There's like serial killers after them. And then book 26 continues on. And it's like that never happened. So for this podcast, like I've got the seasons with a theme. Like this theme is there's something about Mary Queen of Scots. Super specials are bonus episodes where I talk about something outside of the regular theme. So there's still there's still episodes. They're not not episodes. It's just they're kind of outside of the chronology of the season. So if you're listening to this in real time, then it's like a nice little treat for you in between Mary Queen of Scots content. And if you're listening to this like far in the future, you might want to do something like just listen to all the Mary Queen of Scots episodes in a row and then go back and listen to super specials after. Although I will say, and there's going to be a couple points this season where there's going to be so much overlap between an episode of Mary Queen of Scots theme episodes and a previous episode that I might recommend that you might want to re-listen to a previous one. And in this instance, what I would recommend if you want to listen to an older episode while you're waiting for Margaret Tudor part two is I'd suggest listening to Mary Tudor, who was Margaret's younger sister. And she had quite a different experience, frankly. Well, largely because her old man husband was fucked to death and died. And then she got to marry her super secret sweetheart and she had a whole other situation going on. Anyway, it just gives context. So I might suggest listening to that at around the same time. And yeah, so I want to make sure I don't forget to say any of the important post-episode announcements. One of them is that I've made uh, guest appearances on a couple of other people's podcasts that I think I had so much fun doing and I hope you enjoy listening to them. So if you listen to, um, just check out, I made, I was a guest on For the Love of History, the podcast where I was talking about India's bandit queen, Fulon Devi. 
And then if you listen to the Fatal Fortunes podcast, I did an episode a bit ago, kind of a preview of this whole season where I was talking with hosts there about Mary Queen of Scots and her increasingly terrible husband. I also, since last season, since we like all checked in with each other, um, I've started a little newsletter on Substack, which has nothing to do with this podcast at all. In fact, the reason I did it is because I work so much on this podcast and researching women's history. Other interests of mine were starting to be neglected. And I was like, what's a way that I can talk about other stuff that interests me in like a zero pressure environment? So if you go to three nice things.substack.com, and the link is in the show notes as well. You can follow me on my podcast, or not my podcast, my newsletter, my newsletter, which is where I talk about not women's history, other things that interest me. At the moment, it's things like Korean reality shows and um, murder mystery television programming. Anyway, that's a thing that you can do. And then also this podcast. So yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, and maybe because of how the season is going to roll out, where I have like a couple you know, I talk about somebody for a few weeks and then we have a super special and then we're back talking with Mary Queen of Scots. Send me your Mary Queen of Scots thoughts or your thoughts about these episodes. And maybe I can read some of your comments on air and you can send me those thoughts at vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. There's also a form to contact me at vulgarhistory.com. And both of those are places where you can also please suggest other people that you think maybe I'd want to talk about either in this season or another season. You can also keep up with me on Instagram at vulgarhistorypod. I'm on TikTok at Vulgar History, and then I also have a Patreon. So that's where if you pledge a little bit of money every month, then you get bonus content from me. So if you pledge at least $1 a month, you get early ad-free access to all episodes. And if you pledge at least $5 a month, you get access, well, you get the same thing, the early ad-free access to episodes. And then you also get bonus episodes of Vulgar Peace Theater, which is like, th- these tend to be like three hour extravaganzas. So that's where I'm joined by friends of the podcast, Alison Epstein and Lana Witt Johnson. And we talk about costume dramas. Recently, we've talked about, well, we just did a live episode, actually, uh, depending when you listen to this, we're about to do a live episode. Anyway, we talked about Lady Jane, the Helena Bonham Carter movie about Lady Jane Grey. Coming up, we're going to be talking about Corsage, the Empress Cece movie. We're going to be talking about Chevalier, the movie about coming out about Chevalier St. George. We're going to be talking about The Woman King with Viola Davis. Previously, we've talked about Tombstone, um, Anastasia, the animated movie, various costume dramas where we um, talk about them from a historical point of view. And then also, if you pledge at least the $5 a month on Patreon, you get access to Every month or so, I release an episode called So This Asshole, where I talk about awful men from history. Most recently, F. Scott Fitzgerald. And um, if you want to get some Vulgar History merch, including the new collection that says Very Biased, and also other past merch, you can go to vulgarhistory.store, where you can always use code TITSOUT for free U.S. shipping, or TITSOUT10 for 10% off. And I'm really excited to be here doing this season. And I'm glad you're all along for the ride and happy Women's History Month. Although, I mean, that is a thing I celebrate year round. And until next time, keep your pants on and your tits out. Vulgar History is hosted, written, and researched by Anne Foster and edited by Christina Lumagi. I'm Fred Armisen. I play Bob in the new Realm podcast, Black Friday. 
And I'm Amy. I'm uh, not in the podcast, but I am here to tell you about it. What is scarier than Black Friday for retail employees? All those enthusiastic shoppers and two-for-one steak knife sets? So what if working the sales didn't just feel like hell, but there was an actual hellhole in your store and zombies attacking you and your coworkers? That's the premise for this new podcast from Realm, Black Friday, starring Emmy-nominated actor and former SNL cast member Fred Armisen. After a portal to an otherworldly hellscape is opened in the middle of their store, Mark Club employees must beat back the evil that has escaped before the store opens to Black Friday customers. This horror comedy podcast is like Evil Dead meets Office Space, and is the perfect depiction of how retail jobs can sometimes be literal hell. If this show sounds like it's up your shopping aisle, I mean, up your alley, then you know what you should do? Listen to Black Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, what Fred said. And be sure to subscribe or visit realm.fm for more information.